the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. It is a Thursday edition of the Bob France Authority. It's the eighth morning of the eleventh month of the year of our Lord twenty eighteen. Really appreciate you being a part of our program today. Do you realize what today is? For those who do not, I would just like to remind you that today, November eighth, is the exact two-year anniversary. Two years to the day that the United States of America chose to save itself from another four or eight years of democratic rule. November 8th, 2016, was the day we elected Donald J. Trump president of the United States, and that deserves to be celebrated. And I hope everybody plans to do exactly that today. Can you dig it? (laughs) Cheer it, shout it from the rooftops. We elected a fighter to fight for us and for our values rather than electing someone who who would uh, uh, fight to surrender our values and to surrender our sovereignty and to surrender everything that we stand for uh, by way of the globalism of the Democrat Party. So uh, two years ago today, as we deal with the fallout and the next two years of what is no doubt going to be gridlock and strife and playing defense against the offense, uh, committed by the offensive Democrat Party in charge of the House of Representatives, as we get ready to deal with that and minimize the damage and mitigate the repercussions of what the uh, uh, people decided in several of those district House races on Tuesday, we do have to recognize we still are in control. Because President Trump, thanks to what we did two years ago today, boy, I just wish I could watch a montage of the screaming again. I wish I could watch a montage. I'm going to have to find one, and I'm going to have to tweet it today, just for the sake of um, uh, you know of mem- you know, remembering that and commemorating that wonderful moment when Rachel Maddow broke down on uh, MSNBC, and when liberals at Hillary celebration parties, victory parties, looking up at the tote board as it continued to add up electoral vote after electoral vote for Donald Trump. And as they recognized and realized that their dream of a socialist Hillary-led utopia was going up in flames as American voters decided, no, we're going to go ahead and stick with the uh, capitalism thing and the security thing and the we-have-borders thing. We're going to build a wall thing, watching their eyes well up with tears, watching their faces, uh, just, you know, the strain of pain upon them. Gosh, that was a wonderful day. I would like to have celebrated in the same way yesterday if we'd have been able to stop the uh, Democratic takeover of the House on Tuesday night. But it is where it is. We can celebrate. It is what it is. We can celebrate the win once again on this anniversary while recognizing we also control and have expanded our control. And when I say our, I'm talking about conservative, patriotic Americans who believe in the Constitution. Not just Republicans, but conservative, patriotic Americans, no matter what your political stripes might be. But if you believe in the Constitution and the rule of law, then you are thrilled with the expansion 
of Republican Party power in the United States Senate. So I just want to make sure that we get all of that out there as we deal with the repercussions of what happened on Tuesday night. Coming up on the program today, we are going to talk a little bit more about the impact of the voting on Tuesday. Bob Paduchik is the uh, co-chair of the Republican National Committee. He visited with us many times trying to drum up votes and support for Republican candidates here in Ohio uh, many times during the campaign leading up to Tuesday's vote. He is going to join us now to kind of recap and look back at what was won and what was lost, what was successful and what was not, and what we can look forward to in the future in the next two years in advance of the next election cycle, uh, the 2020 presidential race, and of course more uh, congressional fights at that time as well. So Bob Paduchuk will join us coming up at about 9.20. At 9.48, very, very pleased, privileged, and honored to be able to talk to a man that I just spoke with a few days ago when he was the gubernatorial candidate for the Republican Party. He is now the governor-elect of the great state of Ohio, Mike DeWine. So I'm very much looking forward to talking to the governor-elect about his plans post-election now. Uh, he's already appointing people to certain spots in his transition team and in his administration coming in. So we're going to talk to him about all of those things and what it meant to have the support of Ohioans despite just a cavalcade of negative ads run by his opponent and his opponent's uh, PACs, political action committees, and more. So Mike DeWine will be joining us at 948 today. And then at 1005, Peter Kirsten, the brilliant one, is going to be joining us with analysis of all of the news of the day, including the worst news of the day. Absolute terror in California. 13 dead, including the shooter who came into a crowded bar Crowded with hundreds of students on college night, country college night, at the bar in Thousand Oaks, California, and he began shooting. A police deputy, rather not a police deputy, a sheriff's deputy from Ventura County, California, arrived on the scene three minutes after the shooting opened and did not wait outside, rushed in, one man trying to save lives and was killed by the gunman. An absolutely horrific tragedy, travesty, another one, more innocent people dead, more law enforcement heroes doing everything they can to save lives, including sacrificing their own. We're going to talk to Pete about that today as well. There's just no way to make any sense of this. There's no way to you know mitigate the... Um, you know, the, the, the effect on our country, because this keeps happening all too often. Yes, the left is going to immediately go after guns. We know this. We are too smart for that. By the way, in this particular case, it was a handgun, so they can't blame the AR-15 and once again claim that it's an automatic rifle and these things should be banned, not having any clue what they're talking about, not even knowing the difference between automatic and semi-automatic. This was a handgun. But the left is going to go after guns. And we are going to go after motives, and we are going to go after protecting people. Because these soft targets that have these stickers on their windows that remind everybody we're a gun-free zone are always going to be targets. And more of these horrific things continue to happen. So Peter Kirsten, I will address that with us coming up at 10.05. All right, it's 9.14. We'll take a time out now so that we can come in and uh, have a great conversation. Actually, take that back. Take that back. Our next our, our conversation with, yeah, no, I was right. Bob Paduchik is coming at about 9.20. I kind of got lost in my own guest list there. Bob Paduchik coming up in just a few. We're going to talk to um, uh, Mike DeWine. 
coming up at about 9.48, and then again, Peter Kirsten now at 10.05. In between, before, and after those conversations, conversations rather, you are welcome to join us, too, at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Don't forget to tweet to me at France Radio. Tweet to me there at France Radio or Facebook comment to me at France Radio as well. It's F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. All one word, no spaces, no underscores. Want to hear from you about the biggest news of the day, the shooting in California, the suspension of Jim Acosta's um, press credentials after an embarrassing episode at the White House yesterday, the firing of Jeff Sessions, and yes, of course, the aftermath of the elections of midterms 2018. I want to hear from you right here on AM 1420, The Nine twenty now. The Bob France Authority continues on AM fourteen twenty. The answer again. Our thoughts this morning on a terrible terror. I woke up to this. Obviously, this happened late night uh, West Coast time. Uh, it was still very very fresh out there, and in fact, it still is. But I woke up to the news this morning, like everyone else, that thirteen people were dead, including the gunman, eleven innocent. Um, uh, uh, dancers, teenagers dancing at the club in California, one heroic sheriff's deputy and the shooter himself. We'll give you more updates on that terrible story as it comes in. Joined now, as promised, by the uh, co-chair of the Republican National Committee. He visited with us many times during the campaign to champion uh, some of the Republican candidates here in the state of Ohio and to try to support them and the president's vision. Uh, he now joins us in the aftermath of the election. Bob Paduchik on AM 1420, The Answer. Robert, good to have you back, sir. How are you? It's great. It's great to be on the program. I'm, I'm back here in Ohio, and uh, uh, wow, what we had a heck of an election here uh, two days ago. It was a clean, you know, it's weird, as, uh, as I analyzed all this yesterday, and I talked about the mixed results on the federal level and national level, obviously, with the House turning back over to the Democrat control, but the Republicans' uh, majority in the Senate being strengthened. In Ohio, it was nowhere near a split result. It was a clean sweep from the governor's race to the, uh, to the uh, attorney general, to the auditor, the treasurer, up and down the, the, the line there. Uh, Republicans, you know, kind of a, a, a reasserted their, uh, their control and their belief and their, uh, the proof that this is a red state. Yeah, I think, I think we have three things to look at for that. First off, we have some great candidates. I mean, it, that's where it starts. This, this, is, this was the strongest statewide ticket I've seen in 32 years of politics. We have great, great candidates, Mike DeWine, John Houston, uh, Frank LaRose, uh, Keith Faber, Dave Yost, Robert Sprague, uh, Jim Bernacy. I mean, you had those guys running statewide. Um, it's, it's, it's a first class team. Uh, and then, you know, we have a state party. Jane Timken's doing a fantastic job as the head of the Ohio Republican party. Uh, they made sure that the resources were there, that the ground game was there, that the doors got knocked, that the slate cards were delivered, that, that, uh, absentee ballots were dealt with. And, and then of course, you know, when you can bring the president of the United States in and drop them in the biggest media market in, in the state, you know, the day before the election, that doesn't hurt either. 
That's a great point as well. Bob Paduchik is the co-chair of the Republican National Committee. You know, the president was especially effusive in his praise yesterday in his remarks, uh, and we'll talk about the press conference more, but um, in, in post-election press conferences, he has continued to talk about Mike DeWine's victory as being one of the most important ones, and also by the margin and looking at some of the other super close races for governor uh, down in uh, Florida and Georgia by comparison, that Mike DeWine uh, won uh, by a pretty good margin, and he really has been, uh, you know, especially uh, praising of, of Mike DeWine. Um, how much do you think the president's support of, uh, of Attorney General and Governor-elect DeWine, how much do you think that meant? Well, look, I think all those things help. It's a combination. I mentioned three things because there's a lot that goes into these elections. Mike DeWine ran a fantastic campaign. He had a great campaign message about continuing to take Ohio forward and not taking it backward. People responded to that message. You know, and you also, so you can get people that listen to you and respond to you, but you know as well as anybody, it matters who shows up on Election Day. Well, that's where the state party comes in, to make sure that we get that vote turned out and that people are there. And then when you can get the president to fire up the base and to, uh, you know, engage some of those disaffected Democrats and independents that supported him in 2016 and get those folks to show up, that's what gives you that margin of victory. So I, I, I really think all three of those things matter. That's a great point as well. Let's talk about the national side now, because obviously as co-chair of the RNC, you're working on races and trying to get Republicans elected all over the country. We'll start with the good news, which is the expanded control of the Senate. There were some really, really strong messages I felt like that were sent um, in the, in a lot of these Senate races, including four prominent uh, Democrat senators who were up for re-election, who voted against Brett Kavanaugh, and who were bumped from the Senate uh, in favor of Republicans. Do you think this was a message that was being sent by the people in those states saying we will not tolerate that sort of abuse of the system and that sort of a slandering and defaming and smearing of a decent, honorable man for your own political gains? Well, yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, we've seen that was the turning point in momentum in this election. I mean, everybody was talking about a blue wave. Everyone was talking about how Republicans were going to get creamed at all levels of government. And, and that whole shift in terms of energy and enthusiasm for our folks came at that point. But but I think it's symptomatic of another thing, Bob, and that's the fact that these are red states that support the president, the president's agenda, and those individuals did not represent their state. Look, if Claire McCaskill wants to vote, you know, 90% of the time with Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren, she should run for the United States Senate in uh, Massachusetts, not Missouri. And Missouri wanted somebody that represented Missouri values. And, uh, look, we, we had some close contests. The, the, the Senate race here in Ohio was a lot closer. I mean, Jim Renacy got outspent 12 to 1, and that was a single-digit race. That was five, six points. Rob Portman outspent um, Ted Strickland 3 to 1, and he won by 22 points. So I think uh, that, that, that uh, Sherrod Brown race was a lot, lot closer than people thought. And with the kind of money that Sherrod Brown threw around, he should have bought a huge victory with that, and he didn't. And I, I think that he's got some problems there he's going to have to deal with in the future. People were asking me on the program yesterday, uh, Bob, about well, how it is that uh, a state that went so red up and down the line in the races that we talked about uh, at the state level could then, you know, at the state level vote for a Sherrod Brown. How come that was? And I, and my answer was very similar, and I just want to kind of get you to reaffirm and, and state this. It was about sure. the money. It was about the money. I mean, right. Sherrod Brown went negative for the last two or three months with horrific 
a fictional uh, attacks on Jim Renacci, and he had tens of millions of dollars to do it from one end to blanket this state, one end of the state to the other, border to border and, and state line to state line um, with these lies. And Jim Renacci just quite simply couldn't match all of those dollars and, and, and put out, you know, um, rebuttal ads that say, no, this isn't true. He, he bought this election right. is really the only thing I can come up with. $13 million, to be exact, was spent on TV uh, by Sherrod Brown directly. <laughs> and, and I tell you, that that's the kind of money you spend to, uh, I mean, that that's a huge amount of money to drop into that race, especially when the other, other side is spending, you know, far, far, far less. It, 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 it's, a, it's a hard thing to come up against. But I, again, let, look, at, look at the results. Sherrod Brown is not Rob Portman. Rob Portman represents the state, does a good job, campaigns hard, and outspends his opponents sometimes. Sometimes he, he won't, but, you know, he gets a 22-point victory and Sherrod Brown gets five or six. I mean, he, his people got to be pretty disappointed about that. I know they yeah. won, and a win's a win, but for crying out loud, man, I mean, you know, if you buy all these uh, – it, it, it's, it's like professional sports. If you buy all the expensive players and you put them on the team and, and you – and you barely win the division, but you don't make it to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, what, what good is that? That's a good analogy, and they have totally, uh, you know, they've they've got that, you know, two hundred fifty million dollar Yankee style payroll, and uh, and they're not getting it done. Um, Bob, uh, real quick on Arizona, uh, any idea when they're going to call this thing, or is there going to be an automatic recount? I understand it's ninety nine percent reporting thus far, and Martha McSally leads by exactly a point, forty nine point four to forty eight point four. Any idea when we can call her Senator Elect McSally? So in Ohio, which I'm more familiar, now the voting laws are different in each state. So there will be a threshold for an automatic recount, which will get done if that threshold is met. And it's usually like a half a point or some fraction of a percent. And then and, and that happens. Now, in some states, uh, 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 the campaigns can ask for one and pay for one and pay for that campaign, uh, you know, pay, pay for that recount and get a recount. So. So we, we have to wait and see. But but here's the thing: like in Ohio, the mm-hmm. the elections technically aren't filed until the boards of elections certify the results and the secretary certifies that, and that's ten days away from the election. So so in, in all honesty, some of these house races and that Senate race and, and some of these others may not be decided for a couple weeks here. Last thing before you go, Bob Paduchik, uh, RNC co-chair, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, the House side. I, I talked about the good news with the Senate and the gains there. Right. Obviously, uh, you know, I think most of us saw this coming. It was much less uh, damaging than many people feared. It wasn't a blue wave, uh, but it is a Democrat-controlled House now. And when you see things like Jerry Nadler, the incoming Judiciary Committee chairman, right calling for uh, House Democrats immediately to investigate and impeach Brett Kavanaugh and to investigate and impeach Donald Trump. There is no sign whatsoever that they're going to be anything remotely close to civil or bipartisan uh, in the next two years. Well, Bob, we may have talked about it last time I was on the program, is, is that, that if you want to see what the House, Democrat control of the House looks like, you just see that that w- couple of weeks that the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee attacked and and vilified uh, Justice Kavanaugh, uh, and so so we're already starting to see that. I, I think it's a huge mistake. First off, the president's willing to work with Democrats to get things done. He's extended the hand of friendship. Uh, if they refuse to take it and they att- 
attack and investigate and and do all of these uh, witch hunts with the committees and subpoenas and everything, it, it, it's just going it, to it, uh, the American people aren't going to stand for it. Uh, they're smart. Your listeners, uh, the voters in this state are smart. They know when something's legit and they know when something's BS. And they're going to see this for what it is, uh, just a Democrat a party that is out of control, far left-wing agenda, and, and, and only about um, obstruction and resistance. And uh, it, look, you know, if that's how they frame the next two years, you can almost put money down that uh, President Trump will get reelected and Republicans will win the House back. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the hope. And if you look at uh, recent history, that it would be the case. You know, Clinton got shellacked uh, in his first uh, uh, midterm and then won re-election. Obama, or excuse me, Bush uh, lost 30 seats, I want to say, uh, or so in his first midterm, won re-election. And Donald Trump, or sorry, then Barack Obama lost 63 and got re-elected. So uh, if that uh, recent trend bodes, you know, bodes uh, uh, well for the future for the president, that's good news for everybody. Uh, Bob Panuchik. Yeah. Bob Paduchik, uh, uh, RNC co-chair, and of course, Northeast Ohio native. Always a pleasure to talk with you, especially about great results on election night here in the state of Ohio. Bob, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Bob. Take care. You got it. God bless. It's uh, 932. Let's get to the news and come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine thirty six. Now the Bob France Authority continues on AM fourteen twenty. The answer in about we'll call it twelve minutes. We are going to speak with the governor elect of the state of Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine, after his very hard fought victory over Richard Cordray. We'll keep the. Uh, Governor's Mansion in Republican control, and hopefully uh, a much better version of Republican governorship uh, than we had under John Kasich, especially over the last couple of years, since he just went full-on uh, liberal against Donald Trump in every way, shape, and form. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine, I, I really have confidence, is going to be much, much better than that. Um, Got to report this, uh, because it's breaking news. And I think I'm going to echo a Twitter user who tweeted this to me at uh, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio on Twitter. Follow me there, and we'll share this information together. The way Marcus in Medina just did, I kind of agree with his wording. Not tweeting this as a gloat or out of happiness or being mean-spirited, but God forbid the worst happened, this would rock the nation. And then he added a link to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the breaking news story is that she, at age 85, has been hospitalized after falling at the Supreme Court and fracturing three ribs. So this literally, just breaking in the last uh, 20 minutes or so, Ruth Bader Ginsburg fell. Not sure what was the cause of the fall at this point in time, but she fell, broke three ribs, or fractured three ribs, they're saying, and she is in the hospital right now. And while I agree with what Marcus said, I agree with everything that he said, in fact. Number one, I wish her a speedy recovery because to wish ill health on someone just because you disagree with their politics is to be the worst kind of person. And I know we're at a very, very bad place of divisive politics in our country. But I hope to God no one wishes ill health, wishes uh, terrible things on somebody else simply because of their politics. I despise Barack Obama's politics. I do not wish him ill health. And I despise Ruth Bader Ginsburg's politicizing of her seat on the Supreme Court of the United States. 
And I do wonder what a a full-on 6-3 to three majority of conservative originalists, constitutional originalists, would look like on the Supreme Court. I would never wish ill health on someone to get there. I saw the left dancing. Let me say this again. Dancing on the grave of Justice Antonin Scalia. They were giddy when he passed away unexpectedly last year, or two years ago, rather. They were giddy. And why? Because they thought then Barack Obama would get a chance to replace a conservative justice like Scalia, a constitutionalist like Scalia, with an activist. They were giddy about it. I will not be that person. I will not be like them. I will remain decent, civil, um, normal, Right? This is normalcy. It's not heroic. It's just normalcy. Normal people don't wish for ill health or death upon somebody else because of their political stripes or the political opportunity that would that would await them after someone passes away. So I want to join those who are normal people, those who are decent people, those who are civil people, those who are God-fearing people, in wishing a speedy recovery to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Because to do anything else would be wrong. To do anything else would be what the left did to Justice Antonin Scalia. Will not do that. Now, having said all of that, I also agree with Marcus when he said, if there was an opportunity for President Trump to replace another Supreme Court justice, can you imagine what would happen in this country? My goodness. If you thought there was, if you thought it was the worst it could get, how about that? If you thought it could not get any worse than what they just did to Brett Kavanaugh in his replacement of Anthony Kennedy, wait until something like this were to happen. If a, one of the far, most far-left judges on the court uh, was no longer able, for whatever reason, one reason or another, to serve uh, in that capacity and the president got a chance to replace that justice, uh, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. This country will burn. Uh, let's go to John, who's calling us from Chardon. John, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead. Hey, morning, Bob. Good morning. I have four questions for you. Wow, that's um, a lot. Okay, but there's... Are you, are you on a speaker? I'm hearing myself. I may be. Yeah, uh, don't, don't go on a speaker when you call. You're a veteran caller. You should know this by now. You well, can't do that. Well, I'm, I'm doing my stretches, and I... Okay. Let's okay. see. I, I got to... I'm afraid I'm going to... You got to pick up okay, the phone. You, you want me to come back to you? How about if I come back to you and get yourself organized, okay? Because I can't, I can't, I just can't do it. It's just bad radio. Get yourself organized. Hold the phone in your hand. Get your papers that you want to read from in your hand, and we'll, and we'll talk about this kind of stuff. But, but, but yeah, I mean, veteran callers should know that, too. No speakerphones, no, no earpieces, Bluetooth, or anything else when you call a radio station because it just doesn't work that way. Um, so Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, again, according to what we know so far, she did fall. We don't know if she fell and slipped on something, or we don't know if she is just brittle. And obviously at age 85, we have all seen her hunched over and slumped over in her chairs in the myriad of court pictures when the group uh, photos are taken. Uh, she doesn't look good. She does not look like she is in good health. So she, you know, we don't know exactly what caused her fall and if this is something that's going to be recurring. We do know that this has happened before, so I guess you could call it recurring in this regard. You could say it's recurring because she broke two ribs in a fall back in 2012. She's had two prior bouts with cancer, as we know, and has uh, had a stint implanted to open a blocked artery in 2014. So add all of these things up. And she is not a woman in great health. 
Uh, and again, I uh, I lament that. I don't celebrate that. I don't cheer that. I don't uh, dream of great opportunities uh, if she um, you know suffers uh, you know the worst of health. And uh, but but let's just point it out there. It is the second time in what six years now she has fallen and broken ribs, and you add those to her other her other experiences. One does have to wonder if she is capable physically of carrying on with her duties and uh, conferring with, listening to arguments, and. Um, uh, writing opinions as a member of the Supreme Court. So uh, we'll just kind of keep our eyes on that. Uh, the other thing I want to hit before the top, or before we uh, go to um, uh, uh, Mike DeWine, the governor-elect Mike DeWine, this is part of the exchange that led to, you just heard it in our uh, news coverage there, that led to the revoking of the press credentials, of, or at least the suspension of the press credentials of Jim Acosta at the White House yesterday as the president talked about the midterm elections with the mainstream I think press. you should let me run the country, you run CNN, right. and if you did it well, your ratings well, let me ask, much if better. I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question, Mr. President, if I may, if I may ask Peter, one other question, are you worried? That's enough. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, that's well, I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask on, on the Russia investigation, are you concerned that that you may have I'm not concerned about anything with you the may Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, That's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President, I'll tell you what. I'm just going to stop that there, and we'll talk more about it after the top of the hour, but I want to play that for you, and then we'll talk about it with Peter Kirstenau after the top of the hour, by the way. I wanted to play that for you, and I want you to imagine, again, we're going to play whataboutism. I want you to imagine that this was a Fox News reporter completely defying President Barack Obama's order to give the microphone up to the next person because this question time is over. He would be called a racist, that reporter would. He would be called disrespectful. He would be, he would be pilloried. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, he'd be, he'd be dragged. He would be uh, you know, just destroyed by the mainstream media for being unprofessional and disrespectful to the President of the United States. Jim Acosta is being celebrated by the leftist mainstream media everywhere. We need to discuss that, and we will. Attorney General and Governor-elect Mike DeWine joins me next. Nine forty nine. Now the Bob France Authority continues. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Uh, I got to tell you, I really liked how this sounded just a moment ago. As I say, good morning to uh, Ohio Attorney General Mike Dewine. Uh, Mr. Dewine, my producer Samuel just said into my ear, and I and I really liked the sound of this. So I wanted to get your your view on this. He said to me a second ago, Governor Elect is online too. That's that's got a nice ring to it, does it not? <laughs> well, it does. It does. Uh, this is uh, uh, we're we're still uh, you know recovering from the uh, uh, the aftermath and uh, but uh, you know we started uh, we got a good start yesterday on our transition uh, named uh, head of transition um, longtime person who's worked with me uh, Laurel Dawson and uh, our, also our, our communications director. 
uh, Lisa. So we're very happy about having them both on board. So we're moving. We're moving forward. I expected you to hit the ground running, and literally the day after the election, you are indeed doing that with these appointments of important positions. I also want to talk about another appointment that your office announced yesterday, and that is the Director of Children's Initiative, a new, uh, a new position. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But just back to the sound of Governor-elect. I mean, let's talk about how you felt as those returns came in. I will tell you, I was sweating earlier in the night as the results started to come in. And as we got up to around 20%, 30%, or whatever the number was of precincts reporting, and it showed Richard Cordray in the lead, I was I was very nervous. And I was wondering what Ohio was doing to itself. Fortunately, as the night went on, well, that number changed. How did you handle that as things came out? Well, we felt okay with those early results. Uh, they were all the voting that occurred prior to Tuesday. And, you know, we figured uh, that we might be 50,000 down. Um, you know, we could be up as high as 100,000 down uh, and still be okay. And as I recall, we were about 50,000 down. So, um, you know, it looked bad, uh, I think, to, to most people out there at that moment. But uh, it actually looked pretty good to us. So, it, uh, you know, as you know, the voting counts come in strangely. I mean, we had uh, Lucas County, Toledo, that was just not reported uh, very much at all. And, you know, we were concerned about that. Uh, that's a more Democrat area and an area that, you know, we thought that Cordray might roll up some numbers. In. Mm-hmm. But uh, it uh, when we hit about 90% of the votes counted, uh, that's that was kind of our mark. Uh, we still had a you know, substantial lead, and we and we kind of did the calculation and thought, well, when we get to ninety percent, if we still got this lead, uh, there's there's really no way that uh, Cordray can can catch up. And it was interesting. That was pretty much the mark uh, where the networks called it as well. So. How, how how do you feel when you compare this result to the results in some of the other states uh, in terms of margin of victory? Ohio, or excuse me, Florida, for example. I mean, at one percent. I mean, Stacey Abrams in Georgia still hasn't conceded uh, that race, which is uh, you know at one percent or maybe a little less than one percent to win in what is still regarded by many as a swing state. Uh, in other words, there's a lot of blue and a lot of red support here to win it by four points, a little more than four points over uh, Richard Cordray. Does that does that make you feel a little bit better when you compare that to the others? Well, it does. Um, you know, no no poll that I'm aware of had us winning by four points. Uh, we had polls that were had us down. Uh, there had polls. The best scenario were polls that had us dead even, and uh, you know, to end up winning by four plus. Uh, you know, we're very, very, very happy uh, about that. I mean, I think that uh, our message to Ohioans, uh, I think they agree with the message. Uh, I think I, I like to think that what I've been able to do in the last eight years as attorney general, that people have approved of that and have mm-hmm. saw, seen that, uh, you know, we roll up our sleeves and go after problems. And that's, I think, what they want in a governor or someone who, you know, is a very focused day-to-day on solving problems and getting in there and, and, and doing doing the job. So I think that, you know, that eight, last eight years as Attorney General, I think that, that helped us in giving people confidence in, you know, what we wanted to do and where we wanted to take the state. 
We're talking with the governor-elect of the state of Ohio, Mr. Mike DeWine. We spoke when he was still a candidate on Monday, and I'm so glad to have you back on now in the uh, aftermath of your victory. Uh, What does this say, not just your result, but the Secretary of State, the uh, Attorney General, uh, the the Auditor of State, the Treasurer, all of these races going to Republicans. Uh, Is this still a swing state? Is this still something of a purple state in your mind? And I look to 2020 now as if this is an indicator of some sort that this is no longer a swing state. This is a pretty doggone decidedly red state uh, i'm not ready to uh uh you know say that that's true it could be uh you know i think that anybody who runs for office who's a republican and who assumes that this is a red state does so at their peril uh you know look at look at the u.s senate race um you know where clearly there are people who are, who are splitting their ticket uh, I think that's a pretty good indication that Ohio is is still a swing state. It goes back and forth. Um, I think that uh, you, you know if you if you're a Republican, you better you better assume that uh, the state can go Democrat. I mean, if you look at the look at the presidential elections, mm-hmm. uh, you know Bill Bill Clinton carried Ohio, uh, Barack Obama carried Ohio. Um, so these are you know. These are Democrats that, in certainly in presidential elections, can can can, can win. Um, yeah. and so you know it, this is going to be highly contested in twenty twenty. Uh, you know, I mean, so it's going to be you and I talked about this the other day. It's going to be a real battleground in twenty twenty. Uh, the Democrats, you know, really need need to win Ohio uh, to capture the White House in twenty twenty, and they're going to go all out. Now they went all out in the governor's race. I'll say that they just poured a ton of money. I mean, we had. You know, as late as Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday, uh, the Democrat Governors uh, Group uh, Association was dumping, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on additional ads on TV. So they, they, they you know, they thought they could win and they were really focused on uh, getting it done. Yeah, and, and Mr. Dwine, I, I completely agree and understand that. Uh, let, let me talk more about that now with respect to 2020, as you just pointed out, because it was, to me, uh, an amazing accomplishment by President Trump to carry Ohio despite not having the support of our governor. Uh, our governor didn't vote for him. Our governor didn't campaign for him. Our governor didn't even attend the nominating convention for him in his home state. Uh, you and I discussed this in the, in the campaign, your support for President Trump and vice versa. As a matter of fact, in the last two days, as the president has talked and done interviews and press conferences about the results of the election, he has been effusive in his praise for you. Can we assume that it is going to be a much different, uh, a different, uh, election in the state of Ohio come 2020 because we have a governor who is going to support our president and our party's leader well absolutely correct um, you know i had a nice conversation with the president on election night he, he was kind enough to call me uh vice president pence was kind enough to call me as well and we had a very 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 good uh good conversation um so no we will be uh there working um you know on the president's reelect and uh, be very much engaged Let's talk a little bit about agenda items, if I can. I mentioned a moment ago you started talking about some of the appointments you've made. Uh, Leanne Cornyn is going to be uh, the Director of Children's Initiatives. This is a created position, right, uh, something that, that you have uh, decided that you find very important. Can you tell us more about that? You know, she she occupies this position uh, with me now in the Attorney General's office, and it was mm-hmm. a created position that we just, you know, made up, frankly. Uh, as Governor... 
you know, we're going to obviously be dealing with a lot of things that have to do with kids. Uh, I, I think that I wanted someone who woke up every morning uh, and I hope went to bed every night uh, thinking about children and, you know, how to drive the agenda for children. Uh, this is very important. And my experience in life has been that unless you have, if you care about something, uh, if something is important, you better have someone on your team that who that is where their focus is. That's what they do every day. Not someone who's got five other things to do or ten other things. So her mission every day is, is going to be to drive our children's agenda. And, look, we have a very vigorous children's agenda. Uh, it, it includes um, early childhood development, uh, early childhood education. It also includes uh, making sure that in every school in the state there's some somebody who is a mental health specialist. Uh, it includes uh, really putting a focus uh, K through 12 every year on education in regard to drugs and prevention. So those are just a few of the things that you know she's going to be very directly involved in in, in driving our agenda. Briefly, before you go, Mr. Governor-elect, what are the other top action items on your agenda when you take that oath of office and uh, and begin and, and get, well, actually, you're going to get to work before the oath of office, obviously, but when you do take over, what are some of the other top items for you? Well, we have a 12-point plan to focus on the drug problem. Uh, in yeah. fact, I've got a meeting today uh, to talk about, you know, how we're going to uh, start focusing on this and, and trying to implement the day we, we take office. I take office on the 14th of January. Um, my commitment to the people of Ohio is that there'll be a sense of urgency, uh, unlike anything that they've seen in regard to this drug problem. That doesn't mean I have a magic wand. I can't make the problem go away overnight, but I will tell you it's something that we will focus on absolutely every single day. Yeah, as well uh, as you should, and uh, and everybody should be concerned about it. It's one of the reasons you won election, because I think you expressed that very sincerely during the campaign, and the people of Ohio were indeed listening. Uh, Mr. Attorney General and Governor-elect Mike DeWine, thank you so much. I hope we can have a great open line of communication as you lead this uh, as you lead this state into the future, and we would love to be able to have you on to talk to your constituents more as we go forward, and we hope we can count on that. Well, you can count on that, and uh, thank you for having me on the show today, and let's, uh, let's do this in the future. It's an honor to do so. Thank you so much, sir. That is Governor, thank you. That is Governor elect Mike DeWine joining us on AM 1420. The answer and about the only way you can improve upon that is to bring on Peter Kersenow. <laughs> and I would say that if I had President Trump on, the next guy is going to be the best guy because it's Peter Kersenow, and I just don't know anybody who does it better. Peter Kersenow next after the news on AM 1420. The answer. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.